Okay, today is July the 13th, 2010, and um, I'm supposed to remind y'all that the Glory Be Girls are going to be meeting a week from tomorrow on the 21st, and this time the guys are invited also. Uh, I'm going to be on the firing line, so if you have any questions, you can write them down and ask them at that time. Okay, let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your faithfulness, that we can always depend upon You, and Your grace is always sufficient. We thank You for the time that You've given us that we can continue to grow in grace and knowledge, to stand at the ready, to be overcomers even in the devil's world. We pray that You will help us to concentrate this evening, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you heard about this or not. The first Indian astronaut returns to Earth. Some have heard the news that India has entered into the race for Mars. This is a picture of the first returned Indian astronaut that just landed. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't help but show you this. <laughs> I couldn't hardly keep a straight face as we were doing that. <laughs> Uh, somebody sent me this email, and I was thinking I was going to see a, a new way of coming back to Earth. <laughs> I guess that's a new one. Hmm. A bit of levity before we begin. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. You can open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We were finishing... Chapter 4, verse 13. And one of the things that we were focusing on is one of the doctrines that some people get mixed up on. And that is about those who have fallen asleep. That's the term for believers who have already died and gone to be with the Lord. And it does not refer to soul sleep. We spent some time going through the Scriptures to demonstrate that when you die, you don't cease to exist. You just relocate to another place. And there are two verses that we did not get to, or at least uh, one that I see here. Let's see. Well, before we do that, let's read verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. And we went into that those who are asleep give us, gives us the hope because we are convinced that they are in another location and that we will see them again. And we went over uh, some of these verses to show the false doctrines that people get into. Remember Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, the soul that sinneth it shall die. Only in the New American Standard Version, it's the person who sins will die. And the whole context of that Ezekiel chapter 18 
in that part of the Scripture anyway, is that the one who sins is responsible for his sin. God does not visit the punishment of the father upon their sons. But they take that because in some translations it says the soul that sinneth it shall die as if the soul dies. The soul never does die. It just goes to another location. And then we went to Ecclesiastes 3:18 through 21, Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 6. And these are falsehoods that are given in the Bible. There are lies in the Bible, but of course it's never God's Word that is lying. It's just recording lies. In those two parts of Scripture, we have Solomon given his viewpoint when he was out of fellowship, when he was in carnality, and he's, his whole idea was that there's no difference from a person than, than an animal. When one dies, so dies the other. Now, who says that the soul ascends upward and so forth? And we've gone over these to make sure that you understand that the soul continues. Also, we have on the screen up here, James 2.26, For just as the body without the spirit is dead. So the body, once your spirit leaves it, goes back into the ground, goes back to the chemicals. Remember how much your body is worth? If they took the elements that your body is made out of, the minerals and all the other things, it would be worth around $4. Inflation, maybe 5 I don't know. But... God sees us as worth a lot more than that. And, of course, we should see each other in a lot greater sense also. So we were really nailing down this idea about there's no such thing as soul sleep. So we continue on today. This is lesson number 48. The early Christians adopted a very wonderful word for the burial places of their loved ones. And here you have, uh, the, it's a Greek word, Karmeterion, K-O-I-M-E-T-E-R-I-O-N. It's a Greek word meaning a rest house for strangers, a sleeping place. It is the same word from which we get our English word cemetery. The same word was used in that day for inns or what we would call a hotel or motel like a Hilton Hotel or Mata Inn or Holiday Inn. How would you like to go on vacation and say, where are you spending the night? Well, in a cemetery. <laughs> oh, well. Have you ever been in one that you thought was like a cemetery? They're in the places where, <clears throat> they're in the places where you would spend the night to sleep. You expected to get up the next day and continue your journey. This is a picture of the burial place of your being of, of your uh, believing loved one. So <clears throat> I thought that was an interesting word, that it was just a place to temporarily lay down expecting to wake up. Koimeterion, K-O-I-M-E-T-E-R-I-O-N. That you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. This does not say that we should not grieve. Notice that. Grieving is a natural function in life. Even if you have believing loved ones, when they go on to be with the Lord, there is a huge void in your life and it's painful and grieving is, is altogether normal. So it doesn't say that we do not grieve. It says that we do not grieve as do the rest who have so, no hope. Unbelievers have no hope because they do not believe in a resurrection after death. To them, life is over at physical death. It's hard for me to relate to that. I don't know about you, but to think that all there is is this life, to me, would be absolutely pointless. What would be the purpose of living this very brief life that we have on earth and then we just cease to exist? The memory of us is gone. Everything that we've done, there's no purpose to it. To me, that takes a lot more faith than believing the truth, which is the fact that when God imputes soul life to our format soul, we become a living soul, and that never ends. It just changes locations. I've talked to a few people before that 
believes that when you die, you're done. It's over. It's like somebody turns the lights out. And I can see why they would grieve in a manner that they do because if that, if that was the case, those people that you have become so close to, those that you love, when they die, they're just gone. You're never going to see them again. That indeed would be unbearable. And that's what it is to some. How can mortal man penetrate beyond the grave and find assurance and peace? Science has been able to prove what happens after death. Is there life beyond the grave? Why do people seek after human speculation when we have divine revelation? You know, this is the, the question of the ages, is it not? What happens after we die? And God has designed it to where... We have to accept what he says by faith. Have you ever thought about that? Very few people have ever died and come back. There have been a few. I would have loved to be one of Lazarus's friends because Lazarus was dead long enough to where he stunketh. Stinketh, stunketh, or stunketh. He did not smell good. And I would love to have been first in line to talk to him and say, Lazarus, come here, son. Tell me, what's it like? What happened? What went on? And the Bible just does not tell us. We do know that uh, Paul died, went to the third heaven, and to my knowledge, he's the only one that did in that particular sense. He was not in a resurrection body, but he was a unique person, so God allowed him to go to the third heaven and see things that was forbidden him to utter to other people. So Paul could have given you a rundown. He saw it. But to my knowledge, he was the only one that did. And for us, just regular people, we have to wait. There will be a day when we will see Christ face to face and we're going to see the glories of heaven. We're going to see things that are indescribable. But we see them already through our mind's eye, through faith. That's the only way to see them. There are speculations with regards to people who have died You've heard about the out-of-death experiences or out-of-life experiences where somebody is on an operating table and they expire and they, their, their soul and spirit goes up and they're looking down on their, on their bodies. And um, some people say, well, that's just a bunch of hooey. But who knows? That could be the first point in which a person starts to leave their body. I've even heard that some of the Operating rooms have put a number or a name up high where nobody knows it is. And to see if when this soul rises up above the body, that when they see it, they'll be able to say that name or that number after uh, they come back. Now, there's a lot of things going on like that that are, that are interesting. But, I mean, it's, it's interesting to think about those things. But still, God has not revealed them, nor has science been able to crack this one. All the technology, all the things that we have, there is no scientific proof that there is anything beyond this life that I'm aware of that science has been able to come with, come up with. Well, isn't it interesting though? Science is spending all of its energy in order to prove that there is no life beyond the the, the grave. That's what it spends a lot of its energy. I'm reading a book right now from Dave Hunt has to do with uh, creation and evolution. And he comes out with some pretty powerful things right off the bat. He says that it is absolutely impossible for man to go outside of his solar system and search the universe. You know, our solar system, we can go to our planets and so forth, but as far as breaking loose from our solar system, our, this little sphere around our little sun, a little star there, he says it's absolutely impossible, and he gives some reasons why. He says once you go past the speed of light for so long or whatever, you burn up. I don't know. It's all scientific. But he says the reason that they're giving us the idea that we can explore out beyond our solar system is to give us the idea that there may be other beings out there. And the whole idea is that if that's the case, then... It doesn't really square with what the Genesis account is, and they're trying to, to prove that there is something out beyond 
that would actually uh, defy what the Bible has to say. So science is cranked up and it's trying to do everything it can, it, it can in order to answer the real probing deep questions that we have. But they're, no, they're not going to be able to do it because uh, God has hidden certain things. And I think it's interesting that through, you can search the, the, the Scriptures from cover to cover. And this life, I think nearly more than anything, is designed for us to have faith. That's how we're saved, isn't it? Is by faith in Jesus Christ. Well, we never saw Jesus Christ. We never talked to Jesus Christ. We never even have talked to anybody that knew Him or talked to Him or any of these things. The only way that we can become born again and be sons and daughters of the Most High is what? By faith, believing that. That's the way that God has designed it. So when we're talking about these issues, we're talking about core beliefs. Later on, we're going to see a, a verse in Job where that question is asked, is there any life after death? Mankind has been asking that question from the dawn of civilization. And it's always been answered the same way as far as God is concerned. He's given us the accounts. He's given us the facts. We either take them by faith or we reject them. I thought that was interesting that uh, how can mortal man penetrate beyond the grave? Well, when you get into the spiritual realm, which is what we're talking about, science just really is inadequate. 2 Timothy 1.10 But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The interesting thing is that we talk about eternal life as a believer, and you understand that you have that imputed the moment that you believe in Jesus Christ. But there is what you could call eternal life even for the unbelievers in one sense, is that when they die, their soul doesn't cease to exist either. It goes on and on, but the Bible never calls it eternal life. Essentially what it is is eternal death. It's eternal separation from God. So even for the unbeliever, the unbelievers are going to be resurrected. They're going to stand before Jesus Christ. Stand before Jesus Christ. That would uh, intimate some form uh, of a body, some kind of resurrection body. So even for them, death does not cease existence. Then we have John 5, 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb shall hear His voice and shall come forth. Uh, I want you to turn to this one because it's important to uh, make a notation on this particular verse. John chapter 5, verse 28. Especially if we keep cranking tonight, we'll get to the part where Christ is going to shout when He returns. And that connects with what we see here that all who are in the tombs will hear His voice. When Jesus Christ returns, He's going to shout, and you're not going to have to have a hearing aid. Even if you're dead, you're going to hear it. John chapter 5, verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They're going to get out of the graves. They're going to rise up. Those who did the good deeds, now you can't see it in the notes I have up here, but you'll notice that deeds is in italics. That means it's not there. It was added. So I want you to cross it out because it should not be there. It should be those who did the good, period. The good is faith alone and Christ alone, accepting the gospel. Not deeds. Deeds is not there. And all who are in the tomb shall hear His voice and shall come forth. Those who did the good to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil 
And you see deeds there, and you'll notice that it's in italics also. It means it's not there. It was just added, so cross it out. shouldn't be there. Those who did the evil is rejection of Christ. Those who did the evil rejected Christ to a resurrection of judgment. So there's a resurrection for the, for the believers and a resurrection for the unbelievers. We have nothing to fear about death because Jesus Christ conquered death. I want you to go to this verse, and if you don't have it marked in your Bibles, these three verses, you, you need to mark it because very important Scripture. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that whole chapter, is extremely important. First Corinthians 15, 55. Let's start with verse uh, 51. Gives us more information. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. Starts out by saying, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We live in the church, which was a mystery. There's no account of the church even existing in the Old Testament. And one of the mystery doctrines is the ones that he is about to reveal right now. He says, and the mystery doesn't mean that it can't be understood. It just means that it hasn't been revealed yet. Behold, I tell you, mystery, we shall, all, we shall not all sleep, that is, die, but we shall all be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable, meaning this temporary tent, this house we live in, this body, must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on the immortality, then will come about the saying that is written. But before we look at that, when is this taking place? It says, when the imperishable takes on the, or the perishable takes on the imperishable, and this mortal takes on the immortality. When is that going to take place? When? It's talking about the rapture when Jesus Christ returns. That's when we get our resurrection body. So when that happens, it will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. That means that death is going to be destroyed. No more death. And this is, these are the great verses here. O oh, death, where is your sting? Or where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, but the power of sin is the law. Verse 57. This is one you want to circle for sure. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has already conquered death. And He gives us the victory because we are going to be resurrected also. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain. Why should you put yourself out in order to toil for the Lord if when you die you're just dirt, you just cease to exist? Bible saying, no, no, it's very important because Christ conquered death and we will continue to live. Okay, now we're First Thessalonians chapter 14, verse 4. I don't know if you recognize what an exciting part of Thessalonians we're in. In fact, the entire, of the entire Bible. This is the blessed hope that we're talking about. So, verse 14, we start getting into it even deeper. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. We start with the first phrase here, for if we believe, 
This is the first reason why we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Because we believe. Remember I've been talking about the importance of faith? That's why we don't grieve the way others do, because we believe. If sets up a first-class conditional clause and would read better by saying, for since we believe, it's that strong, not for if we believe. This is first-class conditional clause means since we believe. Since we believe what? That Jesus died and rose again. This is in the aorist tense. Jesus' death was unique in several ways. But was the, what is most unique is that he rose from the grave in a resurrection body. You understand that, that Jesus Christ was the first to rise from the dead in a resurrection body, never subject to death again. We've gone over the difference between resuscitation. There's several examples in the Bible of people who have died and come back to life. We were talking about it a while ago with Lazarus is one example. But there's many of them, and they subsequently died. So they, they did die and were resuscitated, and then they died again. So they didn't have a resurrection body. Jesus Christ, to this day, is still the only one who has a resurrection body. He is the only one that was qualified to go into heaven before in the presence of God. No human was able to do that until Christ led the way. And he did lead captivity captive. When the Old Testament believers died, they went into a place called paradise or Abraham's bosom. Even when Christ was on the cross, remember what he told the thief? Today you will be with me where? In paradise. So they didn't go to heaven. They had to go to a holding place probably in the center of the earth, until Christ led them out in a resurrection body. And even then, he was still the only one to get a resurrection body. Those Old Testament saints won't get their resurrection bodies until seven years or more after we get our resurrection bodies. They get theirs at the second advent. We'll go into that to show you the Scriptures on that shortly. So Jesus Christ is the only one. Now, even back then, when Paul was talking to the Pharisees about a resurrection body, it was hard for them to swallow, but they did to an extent. Because to the Greeks, the body was something that was burdensome. It was just, had to, it takes a lot to maintain a body, doesn't it? I mean, if you ever just think how much it takes, let's just say for these few people here, how much food and clothing and water and garbage disposal and toilet facilities and all the things that keeps us just the alive and functioning for just one day, they'd have to haul it in here in trucks probably. I don't know how many there is here. 30? I don't know. But just, just think of what it takes to supply the needs for these people that... that uh, just for these few. And they thought, well, the body was weak. It was prone to get ill and sick and all these things. Finally, it died. And the Sadducees absolutely refused to believe that there was a resurrection. But we, we know from the Scriptures that Jesus Christ did rise again. And that is our hope. If you don't believe this, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, then you don't believe the gospel. You cannot separate those. Jesus, you've heard me say before, and it's true, Jesus Christ took care of the sin issue on the cross. That's true. But the mission would not have been totally accomplished if he didn't rise from the grave, would it? Because if he didn't rise from the grave, what would it mean for us? We wouldn't rise either. We would be toast so to speak, if he did not rise from the grave. So this is very important. This is what we're focusing on here. Jesus Christ did rise from the grave. This sounds kind of like an Easter message, but the foundation, the backbone of Christianity 
is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the grave, He's not God. If He's not God, He's a liar, and we have no salvation. So it should be not if we believe this, but since we believe this, that Jesus rose again, even so, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. There we have that falling asleep again. All throughout the New Testament, you'll see falling asleep. Because the body is as if it's just sleeping. Why? Because it's going to wake up. It's going to wake up with a shout from the Lord Himself. Here we have the connection of Christ's resurrection with His return to the atmosphere above the earth to gather His bride, that would be the church, and take her back home with Him. So here is our connection of the resurrection of us with Christ's return. There's a very important message in the sentence, in this sentence, that even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. Very important message no one can afford to miss. Here it is. There's no way that Jesus can bring believers who have died back with Him from heaven unless they are ready with Him. Right? So if, they, if you just cease to exist when you die, then you wouldn't be with Christ in heaven, would you? Those, And this is what the JWs and uh, Worldwide Church of God at one time believed, that when you die, you just cease to exist. Well, if you cease to exist, you couldn't be coming back with Christ. So when we die, physical death, and our soul and body separates, I mean our soul and spirit separate from our body, according to Ephesians, uh, what is it, 8, 5, that we are uh, face to face with the Lord, that's because in that moment, and I, I don't know where the third heaven is, but it doesn't take long to get there when you're with Christ. And you will be with Christ. So you can't be coming from heaven with Christ when He returns unless what? You're already there. So when people say, and I don't know if you've ever heard this or not before, because I've talked to Jehovah Witnesses a lot of times, more in the past than I have as of late. But I used to go to work with five of them. I had five of them. Uh, at the time, I was living in Greenvine, working um, at the Cameron Ball Valve Plant right outside of Sealy, Texas. And it was about an hour and a half drive with five Jehovah Witnesses there and back. Every weekday, I was with them. And they were, they're very hyper about the word heaven because... We, we acknowledge, okay, when we die, we go to heaven. And they would challenge you, show me some place in the Bible where it says when you die, you go to heaven. And if you start looking for just scriptures that actually say that, you're going to be hard-pressed. But we know, this, this is a good verse right here, that even so, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Where is Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of the Father. Where's the Father? The Father's in heaven. So if we die and we're going to be with Jesus, that means we're going to be in heaven. He's going to bring us back with Christ when He returns to get His church. Yes, Michael. Do you need the mic? Okay. Right. Well, he said, I have a, I'm torn between staying here and being with you yokels which is not what I want to do, but it's best for, for things. But uh, I'd rather depart and be with Christ. But even then, it doesn't say we go to heaven, but you have to connect a few dots to say, okay, where's Christ? Christ is in heaven. I'm going to go and be with Christ, so that I'm going to be in heaven. But most people can't connect even two dots, so they can't get that far. So the Jehovah Witnesses have people, uh, believers, running and hiding under their bed when the doorbell rings because they can't answer these kind of things. Well, here's a, here is a verse right here that is telling us in so many words that when we die, we go to heaven because we can't come back with Christ from heaven if we're not in heaven.
The believer's soul and spirit goes to be with the Lord, and he is absent from the body and present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 8. What did I say? Ephesians 8, 5. I had it all backwards. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 8. That's to be absent from the body and present or face-to-face with the Lord. Doesn't that take the sting out of death for you? I mean, it doesn't unless you believe this. If you'd question this, then I would not like to be in a foxhole with you or really anywhere else. Um, Then their soul and spirit returns with Christ to reunite with their new resurrection bodies and meet Christ in the air at the rapture. This is our hope. For those who do not believe this, there is no hope. Now, we, I don't have to explain to this group what hope means. It doesn't mean, man, I hope so. It's, yes, you're damn right. I can tell you that I didn't put it in the notes. By the way, I was explaining something. You don't know what I'm talking about. There was a note down here a little later that I was going to get to, and I thought, should I say this or not? And so I didn't put it in the notes, but I just said it then. So that's an assurance. That's what hope is, confident assurance. I think this is neat. A man once said to his friend, I hear you lost your wife. I'm very sorry. And he replied, no, I didn't lose her. You can't lose something when you know where it is, and I know where she is. Pretty good, huh? So you don't lose anybody. You know where they are, and it's just a temporary separation. Sometimes this temporary might seem long to us, but in the overall... It's very short. And knowing that you're going to see that person again, I don't know how many times that I've comforted people who have lost their loved one by reminding them it's just a temporary lapse of time. You'll see them soon. That's our hope. That's our confidence. But not only are we going to see them soon, we're going to see them in such wonderful circumstances. All the crap we're putting up with now is going to be past tense. It's going to be wonderful. Now, whether we believers live or die, we have nothing to fear because Jesus will come either with us or for us. Either way, we're going to be with Jesus. Isn't that going to be great? So if you ever know anyone that is staring death right in the face, and you want to know how to comfort them, what can you say? This goes to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, start around verse 13 or 14, and read it to them and explain what it means. That's the greatest comfort you can give them. Jesus will either come with us or for us. And it really doesn't matter. Because what really matters is we're going to be with Jesus. That's what matters. And we have no control over whether it's going to be with Him or with Him, or we're going to be with Him, or whether He's coming for us. Either way, the whole point is we're going to be with Jesus. If this was a holy roller church, I guarantee you we would be gyrating on that note. We would be bouncing off the wall. And I know you're doing it on the inside right now, right? (laughs) It's something to celebrate. Don't we have a gracious God? Jesus is reassuring us, don't fear death. Because when when you're gone, you're with me. Is there somebody you'd rather be with than Jesus? First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of our Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. We start with, for this we say to you, we have the Greek word lego, L-E-G-O. It's a verb, present active indicative, and it means to speak, to tell, to impart information. The present tense indicates that Paul told them this more than once. He kept on giving them this teaching. 
He kept on saying this to them. It just wasn't one time. By the word of the Lord. The rapture is not something Paul and his companions dreamed up. Paul is teaching believers what the Lord had taught him. There's no way that he could have known the details of the rapture apart from divine revelation. Man is not smart enough to cook up the things that are in the Bible. He can't come up with it and be consistent. That's one of the things that's so wonderful about the Bible and one of the reasons we can with complete and utter trust that this is the Word of God because man cannot do it. He never could do it. From, from beginning to end, it is one coherent message and you don't go a little ways here and, uh-oh, we better change that one. That doesn't line up. This is what the a lot of the cults have done. I'm not just picking on the Jehovah Witnesses, but they have changed their theology several times. One time they said that if you were a believer, in other words, if you were one of the true Jehovah Witnesses, then you would be one of the 144,000. Then they had a problem because there got to be more than 144,000 Jehovah Witnesses. It was time for a theology change. And this is typical. Mormons, all these people, they're always redoing it. But the Bible, written over 1,500 years, or I don't remember exactly, it's a large number, written by all these different authors that are, they didn't know each other from all different backgrounds, from kings to fishermen, and it is absolutely coherent, perfectly a unified message. And so what I'm telling you is that Paul couldn't dream up. You think Paul and his companions got down and said, well, let's see, let's make up a yarn that everybody's going to believe and come up with the details that he is giving us. Only God could have known that to completely harmonize with all the other prophecies given by other people. That we who are alive, notice, now this is very important, that we who are alive, Actually, he says, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. Paul said we, both in, both here and in verse 17, which means that he realized Christ could possibly return during his own lifetime. This is one of the reasons people believe in the imminency of the rapture. The rapture could occur at any time. I believe that because the, teachers, the, the Scriptures teach it. Paul didn't say, so that y'all who are alive, that's a good southern word. He doesn't say y'all. He says we, which means it would include who? Himself. Paul demonstrated in other scriptures also that nothing could keep the Lord from coming during his lifetime other than the Lord's own decision as to the perfect time to come. Here's a few scriptures in case you want to jot them down with regards to the imminency of the rapture. Imminency means that Jesus Christ can, 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 could come at any time. Second, uh, excuse me, Titus 2, 12 through 13. Instructing us. Why don't you turn to that one? I want you to underline this. Uh, this who's, who's, who is writing Titus 2, 12 and 13? Who wrote that? Paul. So when Paul says instructing us, who is he including in the us? Himself. This is uh, Titus 2, 12 through 13. Instructing us. And I want you to underline or circle us. And you, know, you might write out in the margin, imminency. There's more than one way to spell it, I'm understanding. I've learned that there's one more. There's more than one way to spell it, so if I can find it here again, I'll spell it to you. I-M-M-I-N-E-N-C-Y. I-M-M-I-N-E-N-C-Y. Imminency. We have it in our, in our Scripture here, 1 Thessalonians 4.15. It's also in Titus chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. Instructing us to deny ungodliness, and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking forward, this continuing the sentence, including himself, looking forward, or looking for the blessed hope, 
and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So in another, another part of Scripture, another epistle written to, to, to Titus, again, Paul is demonstrating that he was looking for Christ during his lifetime. We have it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 and 52. Behold, I tell you... By, well, by, by the way, who wrote 1 Corinthians? Paul. Okay. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we... Remember, we went over that a while ago. Did I have you all underline we then? I don't remember. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, and the dead one, Christ, will, will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Did that happen to Paul and the people of his time? No. But the way he wrote that, he was anticipating it. It could, could have very well occurred during Paul's time. That was 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Here we have Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, that would be another good one for the Jehovah Witnesses, wouldn't it? Oh, we don't go to heaven. Well, explain Philippians 3, 20. It says our citizenship is in heaven. Well, in fact, I've heard them argue that, and I can remember that one now. They said, well, yeah, your citizenship is up there, but you never go there. You, still, you stay on earth. Uh, yeah, right. That makes a lot of sense. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So there again you have we, Paul, including himself in the letter, the epistle to Philippi. Peter also weighed in on this doctrine of imminency of the rapture. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Therefore, gird your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, some say that, well, if the rapture could not happen until Peter was an old man and certain things had to happen. But we have scriptures from the from the men themselves anticipating the rapture during their lifetime and informing those to keep looking up, be aware, be alert. Imminency of the rapture. Here's a, a note that's important with regards to the imminency. There's a distinction between the soon coming of Christ and the imminent coming of Nowhere does Scripture teach that the coming will be soon, but it consistently teaches that the coming can be expected at any time. Some believe the rapture cannot occur until certain things happen first, which would mean we cannot anticipate it happening, happening at any time before that. There are those that are in the uh, mid-trib rapture, sometimes called the pre-wrath rapture. Uh, those who would be at the post-tribulational rapture. Uh, these people would say that there indeed is a lot of signs that are going to have to take place before Christ comes. In other words, if, if Christ doesn't come until, let's say, the mid part of the Daniel 70th week, which we call the tribulation, there are a lot of things that we can, wait, we can see that has to happen. The seal judgments have to take place. Uh, there's a lot of things specifically that we could be looking for or should be looking for before Christ returns. Now, what would, what would happen if that was so? In other words, if, if the Bible said that there's some event, there's some sign, there's something that must take place before Jesus Christ returns and it hasn't happened yet, what would that do to our motivation and our, and our anxious awaiting of His coming? It wouldn't be there, would it? In fact, the Bible, I think, would not be telling us to look up and anticipate Christ. We would be anticipating the sign, would we not? And that would be a killer. I don't have time now, but there's scriptures that indicate that this is a motivating, a motivating 
doctrine of the rapture, the imminency of the rapture. It's even a purifying ministry that Jesus Christ has left with us with the with the, His imminent return that it could happen at any time. We, it purifies our, our own soul. Because when we start thinking about Jesus Christ returning, and He could return at any moment, what does that do for our motivation to live a more righteous life that's pleasing to Him? What does that do with our motivation to get with it, get with doctrine, learn, grow up, get to spiritual maturity? That is a great motivating force. And you take that away, and we're just looking for signs. In fact, if the Antichrist is going to come before Christ, why isn't the Bible telling us to be looking for the Antichrist first? If he comes first, why would we not be anticipating the Antichrist before we anticipate Christ? There's a lot at stake here. And so I'm going slowly and meticulously over these verses. So that I want you to see all the ramifications of them. And the fact that we have these apostles saying we are anticipating Christ's imminent return means that if he could have, could have returned during Paul's day or Peter's day, then certainly he can return at any time now. With that in mind, we want to persevere. We want to be found doing His business, being obedient, doing His work. You take that away, and that whole great motivation is dead if we have to be looking for our signs or waiting for all these other things to happen before Jesus Christ returns. So I'm out of time. We'll continue that next time, but that gives us some food for thought. We're in a great part of Scripture. I mean, we're talking about something that is going to be the greatest. There's not going to be anything like the rapture. Nothing is ever, was ever, or will ever be like the rapture. And we want to look at it very meticulously, very carefully, so we make sure that we have it right, so that when we're looking up, we're not being fooled into thinking that it could happen at any time when, in, in fact, it won't happen until some point during the tribulation. We'll look at this more next time. Let's close. Father, thank You for this time that You've given us to focus upon Your great Word. And our, our hope, our confidence is that Jesus Christ is going to return with those that have already fallen asleep, our loved ones and our friends and, and acquaintances. And if we're still alive at that time, they will precede us in getting their resurrection body by a moment, and then we will be with them in the air to meet our Lord. And there, then shall we ever be with the Lord. What great promises. What great encouragement. Help us to focus on these things when we get down and we start getting into details and mired and all the self-pity and the, all the middle attitude sins that can weigh us down. Help us to keep looking up, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.